I'm doing it wrong. Okay, well, let's get started. I am super excited about today and our guest. I'm Keith Wolf. I'm the Managing Director of Murray Resources. We're a national recruiting firm based here in Houston. I'm also the CEO of Resume Spice. We're a national career coaching and resume writing service. So together we're bringing you this webinar. It's a webinar, it's also a podcast. You can find it in both places. And it's actually the first webinar slash podcast under our new name. So we have named this podcast, My One Life, Build a Life and Career You Love. And there's no better guest to have on for the kickoff of that name than our guest today. If you've missed any of our past podcasts, you can go to myonelifepodcast.com. You can find any past episodes. Jamie Roots, of the, who is formerly the president of the Texans, various career coaches, amazing um, um, business folks and, and people in the political world. So it's a really, it's a great roster of guests that we've had, we've been really lucky. And today we have another one, um, Dr. Laura Murillo. She is a Houston icon. And she is the president and CEO of the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. She has led the organization since 2007. Under her leadership, the chamber has set membership and revenue records. It's become one of the most influential chambers in the country. It's won the National and Regional Hispanic Chamber of the Year Award, the Marketer of the Year Award multiple times, two diversity and business awards from the Houston Business Journal. She's the founding executive and producer and host of the chamber radio and television programs on CBS, Odyssey, Univ Univision, Q57, National cumulative audience of 3.3 million between those shows. She's also a commentator at national media outlets. She has a BA. I know this is going, to, this is going on. We could take a whole podcast, but we got to go through some of this. Um, BA and master's degree and doctorate from the University of Houston, where she served as the executive for 15 years there, became the youngest director in U, UH history. She's also been bestowed the highest honor, the president's medallion, she, before that, she was an executive at Memorial Hermann Texas Medical Center for seven years. She served on the CEO's executive committee. She's been named the 2021 Global Leader of Influence Honoree by the World Affairs Council. She's been a top 30 Texas CEOs. She's received the Otley Award, the highest honor bestowed by the Mexican government to a Mexican-American. And it goes on and on and on. Dr. Maria was the first Houstonian to be appointed to Washington, D.C. Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System Community Advisory Council. And I, I love her, her backstory. Um, the youngest of nine children, born to Mexican immigrant parents, raised in Houston's East End Magnolia. And she began working in her family's business, the restaurant at age 10. She's also the mom of two amazing daughters who are high achievers in their own right. And somehow she's managed to write a book. So we're gonna talk about, oh, there it is. There it is. Lead in life. So we're going to talk about that. We talk about the book. I, I just super excited to introduce uh, Dr. Murillo to our audience and, and go through some of uh, some of your background. So thank you for being here. And we're excited to have you. Thank you for the invitation and for all that you do and everyone who's joining us. Appreciate it. And please visit my website, drlauramurillo.com for more info. Perfect. So let's, uh, I, I read your book. It's a fantastic book. Um, you know, I, even though, you know, we haven't known each other long, I feel like I know you very well. When you read someone's book, you share a lot of really um, intimate information about your background and, and your upbringing. And, you know, the book sort of kicks off with a sort of cliffhanger. You're put in a very difficult situation uh, many years ago as a child. Um, I think we, oh, there we go. Okay. Sorry. I thought we lost it for a second. Why, why don't we start? there. Um, I, I don't know if it was that scene, if you want to talk about it a little bit, if it was that scene, or I'm always interested in what someone's motivation was. Um, you're somebody who in high school was voted most popular, most likely, likely to succeed. So you weren't exactly a late bloomer. I mean, you've been a high achiever from the get-go. So where does that motivation come from? It comes from my parents, quite frankly. They immigrated to this country, knew no one, did not speak the language had no money to speak of and came here in the hopes that they and their children could live the American dream. And I saw their struggles. I saw their sacrifice. I saw their success. And it inspired me from a very young age as I was 10 years old working in my parents' restaurant with my brother and sister-in-law and other family members to see how far 
my parents had come, despite the fact that they had very little education. Hard work was instilled in me by my father. Compassion came from my mother. And so I believe I was fortunate to have two parents who instilled some very, very strong um, seeds of ambition and drive from a very early age. And the belief that in this country, if you work hard and you get educated, that there's there are so many opportunities for you. And I took advantage of them from then and continue to do so. And all, all along the way through people, passion and persistence as my book uh, describes. So what, what was your vision for your career? I mean, your career, and, and you could really say this for a lot of super you know, successful people, you look at their career, it's not as linear as some people might think. I mean, you've done a lot of different things. And you know, yeah. so growing up, what did, what did you envision and I imagine you may have even gone farther than you ever expected to, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, what was your vision for your career starting off? My vision, I'll tell you, I always enjoyed helping people, uh, finding solutions to problems, but most of all, helping people, always. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I enjoyed was watching people like Barbara Walters and other people on television. But what I noticed is there were very few people who looked like me. Mm -hmm. And if they were, perhaps they were on Spanish language media. And so I always wanted somehow to be involved with the media so that it could help people so I could tell the stories. And it wasn't until many, many years later that that part of my career evolved. So I think I've been at the right place at the right time. I've had a lot of mentors and people who've opened doors for me. I've always taken in care of the job that I have, and I've not been worried about the next one. And that's some of the advice that I give in my book, In Life Lessons, which include taking care of the job that you have so that the next one presents itself to you versus what a lot of people do, I find, is they're, they're so worried about the next job. They're not taking care of the one they have. Mm -hmm. And so I've been blessed. Houston is a great city. I've been here my whole life. I know a lot of people. And I've worked very hard from the time I was 10 through all of the different career opportunities that I've had, whether it was in education for so many years, in healthcare, in business, but it all started at age 10 in a family business, learning customer service, learning and understanding how to work with people, speaking Spanish, translating into English, and all of those things have made me who I am today. And you talk about mentors and you talk about your mentors in your book. Was that intentional that like you sought out mentors or were there folks who, you know, saw potential in you and took you under their wing? Talk about that a little bit, because we get that question a lot because of the yeah. value of mentors and, and how you go about even finding your mentor. Yeah, well, first of all, I think something very important. What you don't want to do is ask someone to be your mentor. Let me begin with that. Mm -hmm. It needs to be organic. It needs to be someone that you admire, appreciate. You see them doing something that perhaps you want to do and you become part of their circle. And then they say, come with me to this event or let me forward this article to you. And then before you know it, you're calling them for advice or they're calling you saying you need to do this. I have never been in a situation where it's, will you be my mentor? Mm -hmm. I've had many people ask me to be their mentor, but I have found that it is a more organic, natural connection that you might have with someone. Now, having said that, did I seek out particular people that mm -hmm. I wanted to be like, uh, that I believe that I could learn from? Absolutely. So you need to find ways to be close to those individuals, to be on committees, to volunteer, to have the opportunity to hear them speak and find value, not only for yourself, but value for them, where it's a reciprocal relationship mm -hmm. and not just a one-way transaction. Yeah, and you, and I mean, you, you humbly said that you, know, you have been lucky and been in the right place at the right time, but you've obviously taken advantage of opportunities that have come your way. And you know, one interesting story in the book is you know, just the way you dress, the way you're prepared for an opportunity that came about. Um, I've heard you talk a little bit about it, I think the audience might find this, this story interesting. Yeah, I like to call it be ready, stay ready. And in my case, I worked in the medical center and we were in business suits. And because we were in the hospital, you had to wear stockings and closed shoes. And it was a very strict dress code. But on Friday, it was casual Friday. Mm -hmm. 
but I noticed our CEO still came in her professional attire. And as the one of the youngest people on her executive committee, as the only Hispanic, as the only person who was not a clinician, a doctor, a hospital administrator, I believed that I needed to stay in full uniform of a suit. Mm -hmm. And one Friday, there was a situation where she needed to go out on the floor and in the hospital and needed to take someone from her executive team. And she looked around and everyone was in their Memorial Hermann polos and khakis. I was not, and I was sitting up straight, ready to go. And she said, come with me. And she normally would not have asked me to go with her because I did not have the experience that my colleagues who were superstars had, but I was ready. And I took notes and I collected business cards and I knew how to get us there. And I smiled and knew people's name along the way. And she saw me in a very different role than she had. And I just always like to say, people, you've got to be ready. You have to anticipate the needs of others. And when that opportunity comes for you, to give it to someone else. Remember the power that you have and the opportunity that you can provide to others. So it's be ready, stay ready, but also it's pass the ball. If you have the ball, be willing to pass it to someone else and give them an opportunity. So somebody like that, that you've met so many different incredible people in your career. What, what, I'm always curious, what would be some of the things that that the audience might be surprised to hear about some of these leaders? You know, we, we, they're well-educated and many times they, sometimes they come from me and sometimes they don't. But what are some of the things, you've met so many different people, what are some of the things that folks might be surprised to hear about some of the leaders you've met? I think they'd be surprised about how much they want to help. Mm. How they do want to mentor you. How they want to be candid about areas where you can improve. And so we are often intimidated by these people. We are afraid to ask for their help and guidance. But what I have learned is that they make themselves available. They want to see you succeed. They consider your success their success. Mm -hmm. And so I do my best to mentor and help and open doors for others because I know what a difference it has made when very powerful people like a Tillman Fertitta, makes the time to come to my international book launch that was there at his hotel at his private club. And he picks up my book and he says, go and get it. And then he posts it on all of his social media. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that every day, but he did that for me because he believed in me. He saw the book and he has written several himself and he knows how hard it is. And I think that when people like that make time for you. It's a blessing, but it's also an opportunity for you to remember that you need to do the same for others. And I don't take it lightly. Yeah. And I, and I love, oh, there you go. I think we lost you for a second, but um, yeah, in the, in the book, I mean, you talk, it's a story of persistence, right? I mean, you, yes. you were determined to have him speak and you weren't going to take no for an answer. It was just not right now. And how many years did it take you to convince him to, to talk. Yeah, it took about two and a half years because his team said he doesn't do that. And it was more than just having him come out and speak at the chamber. I think eventually he would have done that. It was more of a relationship Mm -hmm. with his team, a relationship with the Houston Rockets, an opportunity for talking about diversity, talking about procurement opportunities, talking about getting CEOs to be out there and and hearing our story on whatever our topic might be. And so it wasn't just about coming out to speak, but it certainly was the opportunity for him to come and see the caliber of the people that we were engaged with and have him with his own eyes understand what we, the chamber, were trying to do. And that for me, that was just step one Mm -hmm. to many that have occurred since then. I don't even know if you use the word networking in the book. I don't, I don't, I may have missed it. My reading comprehension isn't the best sometimes, but you're clearly a, a, an amazing networker. Um, some of it may come natural, but I think what, what, and you've already kind of mentioned it already, you're always looking for opportunities for both sides. You're not trying to win a negotiation. You're really trying to find an opportunity to understanding what the other side may, may need or want. I think yes. an example of that is, you know, the chairman of, of Amogee and 
how you sort of negotiated for space for the organization without, if unless I missed it, not paying anything out of pocket. So talk about that and, and some of these, the negotiation that either comes naturally or, or is a skill that you've picked up. Yeah, my and, father. And networking. Yeah, yeah. Well, networking, number one, I think I got that from the restaurant because you're constantly engaged with people. And so I think just my nature is one that's a very social type of nature. Secondly, I was in that environment and I saw my father negotiate and he was a salesperson, you know, at heart. So I had that big advantage. And then over time, just continued to develop that and listened to what the other person was trying to do. And an understanding that Amogee wanted to enter this Hispanic market and be front and center and being able to echo what they needed and, and collaborate with the chamber when we did not have the funds, when we our lease had expired uh, where we were. And I only learned about it two months after taking the position and leaving the Texas Medical Center and Memorial Hermann for a nonprofit organization that was ready to close its doors was a very big, big risk on my part. But as I say in the book, I believed in what the chamber could be. And I had a vision for what it could be, not for what it was. And there were gonna be three words that were going to help us get there. People, passion, and persistence. And absolutely, Amogee Bank and Paul Murphy were the first keys to helping us get closer to where we are today as one of the most influential chambers in the country, bar none, Hispanic or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love the message in the book as well, you know, talking about what things could be and seeing them for what they could be. I think that applies to a lot of different things. Yeah. Not just an organization, yeah. but a role, a position. Somebody's going into a new role and thinking about yeah. how big that role could be and how many people you could impact. Is mm -hmm. that something that, you know, where did that come from? And, and kind of, you know, when you're looking at, at, the, at the, uh, the chamber before you joined, what was your vision for it? I mean, how, how far did you expect to take it? I like to build things. Mm -hmm. I like being part of challenging opportunities. And I served on the board of the chamber before I became president and CEO. And so I knew enough to know the potential. There was a lot I did not know that I discovered later. But all along the way, I believed that there was only one way for this to go. And that was up. Mm -hmm. Because in my opinion, I knew enough people in this city to know that they cared about this organization, that they understood that business was important. And that whatever challenges might present themselves, I believed I was not alone. And I believe that if I had the right people on the bus, that we would get there. And we have, and we've grown it and it's been diverse and it's been hard and I've worked long hours and I've cried and I've laughed and we've celebrated, but it was not easy. Mm -hmm. Nothing is easy. And I would not have enjoyed it as much as I enjoy it if it had been easy. And so the fruit of our success is so much sweeter, so much better because it was hard earned. And people underestimated me because I was a woman, because at that time I was younger than most of the people who had had that position. We had fired three CEOs in less than four years prior to my coming to the chamber. And here we are. I've been at the chamber almost 15 years. Yeah. That is unheard of. Yeah. And the best is yet to come, in my opinion. Yeah. And you touched on the diversity and, and DI is, is such an important part of what you do. And it's mentioned in the book quite a bit. Um, you know, what, are you seeing companies make strides? I mean, you talk about you know, throwing a, a Mexican-American party and having fajitas. I mean, that's that might be what some companies feel is a, a diversity day, but that's really, you know, um, that's not the vision, obviously, for it. And what are companies doing you know, if they're really embracing it? Uh, what are they doing well? And what are some companies maybe not doing as well? Sorry, we went out a little bit right there. 
So I think we lost Dr. Maria just for a second. If you have questions while she's rejoining, just pop them in the chat. I know a lot of people ask questions as you were signing up for the uh, for the talk. She can get back on real quick. Okay. Well, everyone will stare at me until we get back on, which is totally fine by me. I was built for this. Your favorite thing about my office in the chat or the thing that you think I need to do with this whiteboard behind me. Okay, all right, well, we're gonna give, okay, what can companies do to improve their diversity challenges? Thank you, Jamie. You obviously don't wanna comment on my background, that's fine. Can you hear me, Keith, hello? We are back. Okay. Okay. I can hear you. I can't see you. The power in my house just completely went out. Don't know what's going on, but uh, I can nope. hear you guys and hopefully I'll get back okay. on video in a second. But nope. you were talking about some of these challenges as it relates to um, ordering food that is ethnic okay. food or celebrating one day thinking somehow. Can you hear me? Yeah. No, perfect. Yep. Yeah. And uh, thinking that somehow, okay, that checks a box. Well, that's really all it is. It's checking a box. It's window dressing. The real way to really embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion is a strategic way of doing that. And it's not one day a year. It's looking at your business, your company, your organization, and saying, what is the assessment? How many people are working here? Who's represented? Who is not? Who has a voice? Mm -hmm. How can we make things better for all? And diversity is one thing, inclusion is another. And so I have worked very closely with a variety of CEOs to help them understand what some of the things they are doing that are making a difference and how some of the things they do, which are well-intentioned, can often be seen as something that is patronizing mm -hmm. and they don't even realize it. So. It's this very rewarding work. And I see more and more co corporations understanding the magnitude and the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's great, that's great. Yeah, we had a question kind of while we were down there for a second. What can companies do to improve their diversity challenges? So their ability to attract, I don't know if that's, Jamie, that's specifically what you're asking, but um, to attract different um, backgrounds to their companies? What do you think companies can do? Specifically? Well, they have to want to do it, number one. Mm -hmm. And they need to understand that they'll need to collaborate with partners to help identify individuals. And then once they have them to make them feel included and diverse and giving them a platform to share that experience and their thoughts on how the decision-making process is made. So there's a lot of ways to get started, but it does begin at the top. It does begin with the leadership. It cannot be uh, in the middle management conversation and then, oh, let's form an employee resource group or something like that. And, and you task one of your minority leaders with this responsibility on top of their other responsibilities. You need to look at putting a budget behind some of these initiatives, bringing in speakers, bringing in someone to, again, do an analysis of the gaps within your company and right. the opportunities. I'll give you a quick uh, data point. So according to a report by McKinsey and Company, they found that when you have women or minorities on your corporate board, that revenues are likely and performance are likely to increase as a result. So I always like to say to corporate uh, partners and others that this is not a social justice issue. This is about your bottom line. Mm -hmm. And this is about revenue. And this is about growing your business. And I don't believe that in this day and age, you can afford to neglect 
in Houston, for example, almost 45% of the population. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to do that. And right. so you can go further, you can do more, you can earn more because you're listening to people who come from different experiences and have shared experiences with your consumers. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great message. That's a great message. And we have a comment here that we're experiencing a windstorm. So power is down. Actually, our internet went down a little earlier. So <laughs> bouncing around Yeah, it was house. very bizarre. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I've got my back up against the wall here oh, no. by the light switch so oh. that I can move out if I have to. But nonetheless, yeah. you know, this is live. This is live radio and, and podcast and all that business. So we figure it out. Exactly. You're going to be with a flashlight in the basement in just a minute. Um, but thank you for sticking it out. Uh, talking about Houston, um, you're about as big a proponent for the city as there is. What are some of the things you love about it? And what are some of the things that you're excited about for Houston's future? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I can't keep talking without talking about our Houston Astros. (laughs) What an exciting time and just sports overall for for our area. I serve on the bid committee to try to bring the 2026 FIFA World Cup to Houston, Texas. And that's very exciting. And that will bring billions of dollars, hopefully, to our city. We're one of 17 cities that are in the final conversations and 10 of the 17 will get to host matches in their city not to mention the global spotlight that would be on our great city so from a sports perspective I love Houston I love my university of Houston I was able to not only work there for almost 15 years but earn all three of my degrees from U of H I think we have some extraordinary people in the city And only in this city can you be the daughter of immigrant parents who came across the Rio Grande with less than two years of of education and go on to succeed in the city and serve on the Federal Reserve Board and so many other boards and be part of meeting presidents from around the country and write a number one international bestseller than in Houston, Texas. And so... I am humbled by the many opportunities afforded to me. But most of all, I feel like part of what I want to share is that if you're going to do it anywhere, it can be done in Houston, Texas, and that there are a lot of people that are willing to help open doors so that you can do so that you can succeed. Or as I like to say, as the name of my book, that you too can lead in life. Yeah, I love that. Um, I know that there are everything from high school kids who join these calls or listen to them later to folks later in their career. I'm curious, I want to kind of go through the stages of career. So someone who's in high school and Mm -hmm. is looking, you know, maybe they want to be in business, maybe they want to be in politics or or media. I mean, what what advice would you give somebody, you know, as as a mom of two daughters who did exceptionally well and went on to the Ivy Leagues and, um, how would, what advice would you give to somebody who's, who's in high school right now? You know, when I was in high school, I didn't know if I was going to college. It was one day at a time. I was at HISD at one of the lowest performing schools in Houston. But there were teachers and counselors who took an interest in me and told me I should go to college. And so I remember when I was 15, I heard a woman who came to our career day And she was Hispanic and she was a mother of four. She grew up in the same neighborhood and she had a doctorate degree. And so when I saw her, I knew in that moment that I had options and that she had done things that I did not know a woman could do. And so if you're in high school and you aspire to do something, you may not know what that is. I encourage you to read, learn about, meet, talk to people who have done what you are interested in doing, and don't let it overwhelm you. Take Mm -hmm. one step Mm -hmm. toward that goal. Often, we think we have to do so much, and it frightens us, and we, we are almost still 
in our steps because we think it's too much. And when you're in high school and you're enjoying that experience, you've got to figure out if you're going to college, a two-year degree, training, military service. Just know that there are people out there who want to help you, who have already done almost anything you're thinking about doing. You probably will not be the first. So seek help, seek advice, get guidance, talk about it write things down and remember one step at a time take one step and what about what about somebody who's in the middle of their career or you know we've got people who ask us what about now i'm approaching what about after after 50 you know and um you want to make a career change or do something different um what that's not me by the way i'm, I'm good where i am just to be clear but um to some people who want to make <laughs> a, a career change what, what advice would you give them? You've had several different careers, um, different yeah. organizations. What advice would you give somebody who's in that situation? I think we pay a lot of attention to getting a job, to the interview, to our resume, to our presentation, how we come to the office. We pay a lot of attention to that. I think where sometimes we fail is how we leave, when we leave, when we need to know it's time to go, whatever those reasons may be. And my biggest advice to those who are already in their career is make sure you go in a professional way. Mm. And it's very easy to say, and sometimes we need to swallow our pride and do it anyway as a professional courtesy. And also know our worth. I talk about that in the book, knowing your worth. If you are unhappy, if you feel you should be earning more, if you feel like no one's listening to you and you dread going to work, it's time to go. Now, what you're going to do, I don't know, but you absolutely in your heart of hearts, you know whether or not going to work or working remotely is fulfilling to you. If it is not, then you need to begin to seek things that are fulfilling and find a way if it is that you want to stay in that career path. What is something new and exciting that you can do that will keep you energized? You know, when I came to the chamber, they had golf tournaments and networking mixers and all kinds of things like that were of, in my opinion, not of interest and we're not going to move the ball down the field and mm-hmm. so instead you know i incorporated with board members and others things that we believed were much more impactful and so i like to say that when i go into a role it's never the role that i went into it's what i helped make the role become mm-hmm. and so if you are hired to be a salesperson and and that's what you're supposed to do Are there other things that you could do that would be fulfilling and exciting to help make you the best salesperson that you could be? And so we've got to ask ourselves those questions. Am I happy? Do I want to do this? Am I making a difference? Do I wake up energized and motivated and passionate about this? And if you're lucky, then, you know, it's the right fit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you've been great at it for 10 years and you want to try something else. So Mm -hmm. don't be afraid. At the end of the day, don't be afraid. But when you leave, make sure you do it well. Uh, that's such a good advice. That's such good advice. I, I think a lot of folks, I mean, being in this industry, you see people leave jobs all, all the time, of course. Sure. You know, how they leave, sure. you know, whether it's a positive or, or a negative way, can really impact how they're thought of you know, from that point sure. on, regardless of the job they did while they were there. Sure. And, and it's so easy. It's so easy to say, well, they did this to me and they did that to me. And uh, let's, let's go with that. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. But what do you win at the end of the day? Because you've put in five, six, eight, 12 years at this company mm-hmm. and it's washed away by the way you leave better to to write your letter and and give them praise and thanks for the opportunity and just put that other stuff behind you it's just not good to carry that baggage and that uh, being wronged just be the bigger person move on 
and be grateful that you were employed so long with that company. And at the end of the day, you were able to uh, have a career, have a salary, take care of your family, and now on to bigger and better things. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you've hired a lot of people, right? So I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you look for you know, when you're hiring? What are some of the traits you look for? I look for attitude, the right attitude. I look for people who are by nature happy and want to, to be in an environment that's fast paced and that are willing to be developed. And, and part of what I enjoy doing is developing people because I've had the great fortune of having bosses who've helped develop me. And so it's not easy to find the right people you have to help them understand where the bar is. And in my case, it's a very high bar in terms of expectation. And so you've got to find the right people who understand that it's not just glitz and glamour. They see uh, our events and other things. And it's what's behind all of that, right? How do you get there? And I, I encourage people to, uh, to do their vetting and interview and make sure that not only are you being interviewed, but you're interviewing the company to make sure it's the right fit. You, I love, I love the happiness, you know, interviewing and hiring happy people. I mean, how do you assess that? How do you, how do you, are they smiling a lot? I mean, how do you assess somebody who's happy and optimistic? I, I agree. It's important, but how do you find that out? Well, I think you just try to ask questions and and uh, listen to how they answer the phone and ask them what they're passionate about. And if if they say nothing, I mean, that's a pretty good sign that they probably should not uh, be somebody that you want around. So I, I ask questions that are not necessarily even connected to the job. It's just like, what brings you happiness? What do you like to do when you're not working? What are the kinds of environments that you like to be around? So, so just trying to spend more time with them. And I don't hire anyone that has not been um, interviewed by the rest of the team because at the end of the day, they have to work together. And so I let them go off and I say, you know, here you go, talk to this person and convince them they should not work here. Hmm. Right. And uh, at the end of the day, after everything you've said, and they still want to work here, then, then we've got a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, we got a, a question about going back to diversity and inclusion a little bit. Um, what can a company, company specifically do? They have multiple cultures within that company to make sure that everyone feels and everyone feels included, right? They have multiple cultures within the company. So not, I guess, talking as much about, um, about the hiring, but making sure there's one cohesive company and that everyone feels heard. Included. Well, I think it begins with talking to them and mm -hmm. asking them, mm -hmm. do you feel that we're doing enough to make everyone feel included and mm -hmm. inclusive? What would, what would bring what can I do as your boss or your employer? What can the company do to help create more of a conversation around different cultures? I think if you ask people, they'll tell you. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you how they feel, but you have to be open to hearing them out. Mm -hmm. And they have to feel like they can say it without unintended consequences in any way. And that it's not an us versus them. That is a we. And in order for us to work well together, we want to be sensitive to things that are important to you as an employee, like share that with us, help us understand, help us understand what we can do. Um, and oftentimes it's subtleties these days. It's no longer, usually it is not uh, intended acts or conversations or words, it's, mm -hmm. it's subtleties. It's the not knowing that that might be offensive. Mm -hmm. So you've got to start with a conversation and it has to come from the leadership. Mm -hmm. The top of the organization has to say, we care about this and we have a large contingency of X, Y, or Z. And we want to make sure you're happy. What are some of the things that we can do to make sure you feel included? Yeah. And sometimes it's as easy as that is just starting a dialogue. Yeah. No, that's great advice. 
That's great advice. And it, we were, we got a question around the book and I do want to talk more about that. And um, somebody who's interested in publishing their own book and they want advice for connecting with publishers, but besides the business side of it, um, why, why now, you know, what was sort of the motivation behind writing the book now? I mean, you achieved a lot, but I know you're going to go on to even, you know, more things in your career and you can write it at any time. So why now, what was sort of the motivation behind getting started on this project? Yeah, I'm not sure I could write it any time. I've thought about this for 10 years and never had the time to do it. And even though I knew my stories were something I wanted to share, I needed, I wanted something that would resonate with a need Mm -hmm. that I could help fill with solutions and answers and anecdotes. And so with COVID and so many organizations and companies shut down. We were under lockdown. My daughters came home from college. My eldest brother died. Uh, We were trying to figure out, you know, what we were going to do with the chamber, given this whole virtual environment. When else would I have had time in the evenings and on weekends to pull this all together and get with publishers and produce this book that went on to become a number one international bestseller in three countries? The timing was right. The conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion was very important. And it gave a backdrop to all of these stories. So it was the right time, the right place, a board of directors who uh, cheered me on and uh, have really embraced the idea that these stories must be told and that there is light at the end of the tunnel as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that Houston can be the champion mm-hmm. in this space. So in, just in terms of your the actual process, of yeah. together, I, mean, I want to minimize the work that goes into you know, writing a close to 200 page book. I mean, that, how much time does that take? I mean, what was your process for getting <laughs> out of your head onto paper? Yeah. So, One of the things I did over the 10 years was I would just write chapter titles or Mm. sentences that I thought would trigger to help me remember something that may have happened and just writing all those down and then realizing like, oh, that wasn't such a big deal after all. Mm. And then just getting started. The hardest part to this, the hardest part to going and earning my doctorate was usually that first step. Mm-hmm. of saying, I'm going to do this. And it was a very difficult process because one of the things that I learned was it's a lot easier to write a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to condense it mm-hmm. and, and get to your point and be succinct and make people laugh and make them cry and stay on point. Next to my doctor, this is the most challenging thing I have ever done and I had a great team of publishers and editors and others who were there to help me through this process I'm so glad I did it and I did not realize this uh, but I know it now 95 percent of all published authors are white in this country and the fact that you know I've had the opportunity to do this and that I have the opportunity to share it with the world, um, that it's it's certainly very important to understand that we need more people to share their stories and that there is a very big need for people to help others understand those experiences and that our children and, and other children get to see that for women and Hispanics and whoever the other is, is that there are people out there like them that they can emulate, that they can say, okay, if that person did it, so can I. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's really important. Um, if folks have questions, by the way, we have a couple minutes left here and um, love to get some more questions. And if you have, we've got a couple minutes. You know, in terms of just time management, I love to ask people about the tools that they use. And, you know, you talk about your to-do list and in your book uh, and, and maybe, maybe that's it. But, you know, how do you prioritize <laughs> what you need to do. You've got so many different things going on. Uh, How do you work on the most important things? How do you make sure those are the things that get done? 
I've gotten a lot better at it. And one of my strategies is saying, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. And not only saying no, thank you, but saying, I am not available. However, here are two other people that mm-hmm. I think you should consider speaking with. Mm-hmm. And sharing that opportunity with others who would absolutely thrive and uh, could provide value and understand that I don't need to do everything. Mm-hmm. In most cases, I've been there, I've done that. And is this where I want to spend my time? So I'm much more selective. And I've got a great team that is constantly helping me keep up with my calendar. And we try to take things off that aren't necessary. And and I plug in time to disconnect, to go to a game, to sleep in late, to block out time just to read. And I am um, very organized detail person and I write things down and I plug it in and I, I I stick to it I try to I do my best it is a challenge I'm very busy but it's busy doing things that are important to me yeah yeah um no, I, I love that I, mean, I use uh I use Trello as my project manager my whole life it runs my whole life but um you know I think it's 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 hard to prioritize everything that you have to do and to be uh, to understand you're not going to get to everything. Um, I'm going to end sort of with this rapid fire uh, questions that you you may not be prepared for, but I'm going to ask them. And if you have answers, great. Um, do you listen to podcasts? And if you do, sort of what's what's your favorite podcast to listen to? Brene Brown. Okay. My wife. Anything she does. And yeah. and then from my nerdy side, anything the Federal Reserve puts out on, on the economy and economic forecast, et cetera. And what about reading? You mentioned or somebody says it's my favorite too. Um, what about reading? You mentioned that you read quite a bit. So what do you, who are your favorite authors or books or, or you know, leadership advice? Who do you turn to? Yeah. Well, I love all of the self-help, self-improvement, good to great, the McKenzie way, Mm -hmm. anyone who's a forward thinker, uh, you know, anything that I think I don't know anything about, for example, uh, on water, I'll read something about water. I'll, I'll read books on topics I've known nothing about, how the universe works, things like that. Uh, I just try to be very eclectic in my selections. What about organizations that you admire, whether it's here in Houston or, or elsewhere, any organization that you, you turn to and you love the way they do business? Well, I, I must say that anything that is supportive of women and of children mm-hmm. and helping them be better, I, I think of the uh, everything from the Girl Scouts, my daughters were Girl Scouts. I think of leadership programs anything that will help people be their best and afford them an opportunity to develop are, are certainly important to me. And, and that's why as part of my role at the chamber, one of the things that the board and I put together was an Emerging Leaders Institute as a foundation. And again, uh, another piece of my job that was not there that, that I added because mm. it brought joy to me and, and uh, is helping you know, hundreds of young professionals. And thankfully I have a board of directors who embraced it and realized that it would and could be very helpful to Houston, to these leaders and to corporations. So hmm. anything that's um, a vehicle to yes. expanding on people's uh, great skills and just making them better. What, what are some of the ways that people can get involved in, in the organizations that you're involved in? So that whether it's the chamber or bringing uh, the World Cup here, or what are some of the ways that people can get involved? I think you need to find out what brings you joy and passion. Do you love volunteering? Other people, you know, have money, can write a check. Others, you know, want to be out there delivering packages or sitting down and, and getting on the phone and providing guidance. Just find out what makes you happy. And now that we're in many ways in a virtual environment, you're not limited to the city. You can do things at a national level and people are always looking for volunteers. And if you're trying to change careers or looking for a new career path, one way to do it is to volunteer. Let's say you are an accountant, but you really would love to be 
I don't know, uh, a really famous DJ. Well, maybe you do some volunteer work in that space until ultimately someone pays you for it, or you want to start your own nonprofit, but in the daytime, you are a salesperson. Well, go and volunteer and, and figure it out and, and get out there and, and start doing it until you can phase completely into a role that you're passionate. Don't waste any time. Remember that first step is usually the hardest and there's a lot of people who want to help you. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to leave one last question for me and that is you've been all over the world. You've seen a lot of different places. I'm always uh -huh. curious, what, what are some of your favorite cities or countries that you visited? Uh, I'm going to say Turkey. I traveled there with Mayor Anise Parker and a delegation of, of business folks. And it was East meets West. The people were phenomenal, the history, the uh, different cultures, the food, so much to learn. It was magnificent. And I love traveling. I love connecting the dots. I remember being in China in the Forbidden City. And I was this big when I looked up at the walls. I mean, I felt this big. Yeah. And I thought, my goodness, you know, this world is so large. You know, how did I get here? How did I get here? Mm -hmm. And it gives you an appreciation of coming back home, wherever home is. But knowing that now, today, in this environment with technology, we are in a global space and that those doors and those opportunities are there for you. And I believe it. And, and I have seen it personally. And I love my Houston and I appreciate what it has done, but I also know that there's a big world out there that is just waiting for people like me and you to engage with them and find ways for us to be connected. So, so many more places to see and travel. Definitely. Well, I cannot thank you enough. Um, a true pro, you know, just <laughs> hopping around your house, making it happen. With no... I don't know what happened to the power and I'm standing here with my arm, switching arms just to keep the phone up. So we'll have to do this again and, and we'll be stationary and hopefully we won't have any issues with power, but thanks for what you're doing. Thank you for the podcast, the opportunity to join you. And again, please visit my website, drlaudamurillo.com. If you're interested in me coming out and speaking to your company or group, let me know. And my book is Lead in Life. Succeed in the era of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Really appreciate everybody Thank being you. here. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Dr. Maria. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.